The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome back my guest from last week, Dr. Anthony Thomas. He is a nutrition researcher, scientific consultant in the dietary supplement industry, and director of scientific affairs at Natrion Incorporated, a nutraceutical ingredient innovator that tests and studies ingredients used in the dietary supplement, personal care, food, beverage, and medical food industries worldwide. Dr. Thomas earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Nutrition, Food Science, and Dietetics from California State University at Northridge and his doctorate in Nutritional Biology from the University of California at Davis. He conducted postdoctoral research at the University of California, Los Angeles, prior to transitioning to a scientific position within the dietary supplement industry in 2015. I first heard him speak at an exceptional session at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics annual conference. It was focused on integrative and functional medicine and specifically on probiotics. And at that time, he was the director of scientific affairs at Gero Formulas. And he has since been my go-to expert on infant gut health, which was the topic largely of our conversation last week. This week, we are going to launch forward from that, and we're going to touch on the infant gut health, and then we will move forward into more gut health as we get older or throughout the life cycle. So welcome back, Dr. Thomas. Thank you so much for giving me a part two. Oh, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you again, Melinda. So last week, we talked about what happens in the United States where our diets are largely poor, highly processed, not supporting good, healthy gut microbes. We talked about the integrity of the gut and how important it is in separating our insides from the outside world. And we also talked about the life cycle starting at birth and how so many infants are exposed either prenatally or postnatally to antibiotics and the impact on infant gut health and the high rates of dysbiosis among infants. And you had mentioned that there was one particular probiotic that seems to restore infant gut health, especially in combination with breast milk. Let's start there, and then let's progress on through the life cycle. So talk to me about what specific probiotic infants really need early in life. I'd first like to remind everyone that, that health benefits associated with probiotic are generally strain-specific. So Often you'll see a genus and species name such as Bifidobacterium, you know, longum or infantis, and that's, that's a genus and species. But usually there's an alphanumeric code that follows the genus and species name, and that identifies a very specific strain. And, and when it comes to benefits beyond general gut health, it's thought to be strain specific. So any, any particular benefits for supporting immune function or, or modifying mood and behavior. These are all strain-specific effects, and, and it's not thought that you can just take a mishmash of quote-unquote friendly bacteria and realize these benefits. At least there's no evidence validated for that yet. Now, 
what we're talking about is a little different because this organism that I'm, I'm going to talk about, Bifidobacterium infantis is its shorthand name. It's really Bifidobacterium longum subspecies infantis or B infantis for short. So as a subspecies of another species that's also commonly found in infants, it shares a lot of the same genetic material. And those genes, of course, dictate its metabolic capacity and therefore its activity. And all correctly identified, it's actually a hard bug to correctly identify. And, and a researcher at UC Davis has published this and it's been mischaracterized in many commercial products. They say it's in there, but it's not actually in there. And that is this, this subspecies B. infantis and all correctly identified B. infantis for the most part have a very specific cluster of genes called HMO gene cluster one. And it essentially codes for all the proteins to transport these complex human milk oligosaccharides and enzymes needed to, to fully metabolize them and also do it in a way where unlike some other bacteria that might cleave a bond with an external enzyme and then take a little piece from that carbohydrate, use it, but leave residual components within the gut lumen. And of course, this can cross feed other bacteria, including bad bacteria, not with this bug B. infantis. It's a greedy eater. Dr. David Mills at UCLA, he, he referred to it as an inside eater. So it takes all these these specific glycans within milk as much as it can, and it, and it consumes them within inside the cell. So it doesn't cross feed other bacteria. And this gives it a very highly competitive advantage over all other bacteria because it's so uniquely suited to thrive in the presence of human milk. And it produces high amounts of acetic acid, which, which limits growth of, of various other pathogenic microbes. It acidifies the gut lumen, which is good for not just protection, but also solubilizing certain nutrients like minerals and different things, but various other benefits. It reinforces what we call gut barrier function. That's that protective role the gut plays because we don't want even good bacteria to, to breach that barrier and get into the body. But also it releases nutrients in breast milk that go far beyond the gut and critically support the development of the brain, which of course I know everybody's concerned with the immune function early on during this vulnerable period. So this is this critical, critical microbe. And as the name implies, historically has been present in infants. However, we're finding it's basically disappearing in, in highly developed countries like the US. And that's because of some of these environmental factors. Exposure of mom and baby to antibiotics, like you mentioned early on, increased use of C-section delivery. And of course, earlier introduction of formula feeding, which does not support as high abundance of bifidobacteria, the key genera of bacteria within the infant gut, but also specifically infantis as the predominant bifidobacterium if it's present. So one is it has to be present to be enriched by the milk and the breast milk is what would naturally reinforce its abundance and metabolic activity. It sounds like if we want to make true inroads in public health, we really do need to be starting at the very beginning of life. And if we care about kids, we need to be talking about what happens in this perinatal period. So you had mentioned last week that less than 15% of neonatal intensive care units administer probiotics when infants have been exposed to antibiotics. Have we seen a shift or how do we shift the policy in NICUs to provide babies with the best form of Infantis, as well as really emphasizing the importance of breastfeeding over formula. Yeah, it's, it's huge challenges, I would say, that we face because 
it's not as if this information's not out there. It's a matter of getting that information to the right people and ears. And, and so I think scientists in this world are communicating these results and, and discussing it. Some of the problem I see is that often I feel like you're preaching to the choir when you're at a probiotic conference talking about this stuff. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah, we know. It's like, we need to be at, at gastroenterology meetings and other healthcare practitioner meetings to communicate this information, help them understand why probiotics is not just this catch-all term like that refers to the same thing and they have very similar effects. No, they have hugely varying effects depending on the organism used. All probiotics may be microbes, but very few microbes are actually meet the criteria to be genuine probiotics. And th this is a battle that we face just in, in, in messaging right now, because most people don't understand this, including healthcare practitioners. So let's empower our listeners as consumers then in the healthcare marketplace. And if a young mom is coming home with a baby who has been exposed to antibiotics perinatally, whether because they were held in the NICU, had an infection, were trying to prevent an infection, or were delivered via C-section, how do we help moms preserve that infant gut microbiota? Are there specific products on the market that they can purchase to help protect their infants? I think there are quite a few products available commercially that would be very helpful. Certainly probiotics that have appropriate bacterial species for the infant gut. So typically infant associated uh, bifidobacterium species, not to say that, you know, I, lactobacillus species absolutely are supportive. Again, it's, it's even if they're not colonizing and sticking around for a long time, again, they're transiently moving through the gut. They're discouraging growth of quote unquote bad bugs. And, and this of course will help your good bugs thrive and, and other things. So there's many products out there. I think that would be beneficial. First and foremost, you want to make sure you're using a product from a reputable company and that has the organisms correctly identified down to the level of strain. That's the only way you can actually know if it's a genuine probiotic or not, because it's that strain designation or ID that links it to the research that would validate it as a probiotic. So a probiotic, at least with regard to human health or for humans, must be supported by a clinical trial because, again, by definition, it has to convey a human health benefit. And the only way that we could systematically validate that is with clinical research. So there at least has to be evidence within humans that it conveys a benefit. And of course, that study will dictate what an adequate amount is. What dose do you need to realize the benefit? And the health benefit is specific. So a lot of times we see products and they're marketed for broad general health benefits, but often some of the benefits, at least as they manifest in research, are, are very specific. Now, look. I want to present this with a caveat that this is my personal opinion based on my reading and understanding about very, now I think there's lots of probiotics that can benefit. I think one of the best ways and specifically to correct a dysbiosis in an infant is to administer a validated B. infantis strain. Now we used one at Jaro Formulas. It was a very specific strain called B. infantis M63. It was isolated from an infant gut. It's been shown to effectively colonize the infant gut. And it certainly is, a, is it's been validated Yes, it is a B. infantis. It's not the only one out there. And I think many correctly identified B. infantis strains will be therapeutic in this context. And, and I mentioned another company that was actually a spinoff from my alma mater, and that's uh, Evolved Biosystems. And they solely focus on a B. infantis strain specifically for infant health applications. And they even have a version that's specifically intended for use 
within the NICU. Now, if it were up to me, well, I had mentioned on our last talk that my son was born prematurely by a month and they had prophylactically administered antibiotics to my wife prior to delivery. So what did that likely do? It likely killed off lots of vaginal, beneficial vaginal lactobacilli that would help colonize my son as he's being birthed, as he moves through the vaginal canal, which of course also sets the stage for, for bifidobacteria to colonize and thrive within the infant gut. He was administered some formula while, while at the uh, hospital. And so the first thing I did was get him on the jar of formulas, infant probiotic, which contained only a B infantis strain. And of course, my wife was breastfeeding. So that naturally will reinforce the abundance and activity of this very specific probiotic. Now, it's so sad that less than 15% of NIC use. I don't know if that's still the statistic. I came across that statistic in a scientific publication a few years ago when I was writing a white paper, but I can't imagine that that's changed much. And again, even those that were administering probiotics, the vast majority were administering a probiotic that wasn't supported by the evidence to be beneficial, right? So if it were up to me, every NICU would prophylactically administer the B. infantis strain offered from Evolve Biosystems or Biosciences when there's risk of necrotizing enterocolitis, because this is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality in infants. And we already know that the very most therapeutic thing is mother's own milk. After that, it would be human milk. So we want that. And the best complement to human milk is B. infantis. And the Evolve Biosciences product, the name of that is? Avivo. Avivo. Thank you very much. All right, we're halfway through, so let me remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking in a part two session with Dr. Anthony Thomas, nutrition researcher, scientific consultant, and science, director of scientific affairs at Natrion Incorporated. So I think this is so important and empowering for both healthcare providers within the neonatal area as well as young moms and families coming home from the hospital with a baby that's been exposed to antibiotics. So setting the stage then for the rest of our lives, we've got this period where their gut is somewhat malleable during the first couple of years of life, and then the gut is pretty much established in terms of microbes. And we find today that there are so many people dealing with some sort of dysbiosis and some inflammatory symptoms, irritable bowel, some gut issues that don't even have a name. But we know that we're seeing more of it likely related to the poor quality of our diets. What about we go to the marketplace? I don't know about you, but when I look at the shelf of probiotics, even I with a master's degree in nutrition, I am overwhelmed. Can you give us some basic guidelines on how to select a probiotic and how do you know which one is appropriate? It's just so difficult. I'm overwhelmed. There're just there's so many options. Most people that are trying to help consumers at the store don't really know. They kind of get educated by marketing from these companies often. And so they'll repeat these marketing sound bites like presenting it as if it's some sort of educational material and it's really not. Look, the Council for Responsible Nutrition and the International Probiotic Association, and, and I, I was affiliated with the International Probiotic Association, and they have leading global scientists in the field of probiotics specifically from across the globe. They're a great resource for information. They collaborated on what a, a probiotic label should have on it to be accurately labeled. And one is every probiotic organism within the product needs to be identified to the level of strain, because that, again, like I said before, this is what links it 
to the scientific evidence that would validate it as a genuine probiotic. Otherwise, it's just a microbe. And we don't know if it's going to be beneficial or not. We don't know how much of it. Just like humans, there's, I give this example, I think I may have given this in my presentation that you saw a few years ago. And that's, I give the example of a specific health condition. The analogy I use is, let's say, basketball, and you want to select a human strain that would be very effective at scoring baskets and helping you win basketball games. Let's say that was the health benefit you were trying to address. Now, there's many humans that may function well in that capacity, right? I joke, I say, you look, I'm 6'2", I'm pretty athletic. I've played basketball a lot of my life. I enjoy it. I'm not bad. I'm certainly better than my 10-year-old niece. And if you use my niece, she's probably not going to serve that capacity very well. But I'm not as good as LeBron James, right? You'd probably rather have LeBron James if you had a choice of humans, right? So he's a very specific human, quote unquote, strain that is probably very specific for that. And now what if I said, hey, you can, I'll give you two of me or 10 of me, or I'll give you a hundred of my niece. That's not going to be better than LeBron James. Everybody knows that, right? So there's all this marketing saying, oh, more is better and, or, or more organisms in the product is better. No science supports that. Let me tell you that right off the bat. So one is make sure it's a genuine probiotic and a label should tell you what the amount of the probiotic is. And if it's labeled properly, that's the guaranteed minimum through the shelf life when stored as recommended. And I always tell people for the vast majority of probiotics, particularly if it's, if it's primarily a bifidobacterium or lactobacilli strains, they'll do better for long-term storage in the fridge. Cold slows down their natural die-off. They are living organisms and how they're shipped and handled and stored can impact that, but good companies will use what they call intentional overage, meaning they have to put more in at the time of manufacturing to account for the natural die-off. But that's to ensure that by the time you put it in your mouth, that you get that at least that minimum quantity that's been supported by the scientific evidence to convey the human health benefit. And of course, every properly labeled product should have contact information for the company. And if you can't fit a telephone number and address for the company, they'll often put a website, right? And then you can go to that website and get the contact information. And what I would encourage people to do, I know it takes a little bit of work and effort, contact the company, because guess what? A lot of times those people would contact a company like Jaro Formulas, next thing they know, they're talking to me and we'll, we'll be chatting up probiotics and they're learning and they're so grateful to learn all this information. And a lot of these companies, at least reputable companies will have scientists and high level people with nutritional expertise, dietitians and pharmacists that can help provide some insight in these areas. So I think if you do that, you're more likely to find one. Steer clear of the marketing hype. There's a lot of it out there. Most of it is misinformation. And try to look towards reputable companies that have a well-established track record of producing high-quality products that are safe and effective. Is there an independent third-party reviewer of probiotics? There's not. Unfortunately, there's no legal definition of probiotics. And so how they're marketed and sold often has nothing to do with the scientific definition or how they're understood scientifically. And this, of course, upsets a lot of us in the world of probiotics. And again, being affiliated with an organization like the International Probiotic Association, they put out a lot of educational content. They don't sell product, right? They have many companies, both those that will manufacture probiotic strains and sell them to companies that will manufacture finished goods that incorporate it or foods. So both sides have companies represented there. And what they want to do is put out accurate information about probiotics. And they will advocate for accuracy as far as labeling and putting out genuine probiotics and 
Unfortunately, though, again, because there's no legal definition and companies are free to market products how they want, you know, we see the vast majority of products being sold that use the term probiotic as not meeting the minimum criteria to be considered true probiotics, at least not based on what we see on the label. So any company that tells you it's proprietary, there's proprietary formulation when it comes to probiotics, it's a bold-faced lie. That's a huge red flag right off the bat. I wouldn't trust that company if, if anyone tried to say that. Because again, an appropriate labeled probiotic needs to identify the strain down to the strain level. And I promise you, if, if they developed a formula that was tested in its finished form that showed a specific health benefit, well, then they would be able to patent that. And they wouldn't even need a proprietary blend to hide that secret. The fact is there is no evidence showing that finished formula was likely effective and there's nothing proprietary about it. So if I wanted to learn more about research that has been done on specific strains, would the usprobioticguide.com site be one that you'd recommend? I do. I often recommend that, again, because it's, a, it's not fully comprehensive, but it's such a great resource, particularly for healthcare practitioners, because what it does is, is you can go onto this site, you can look based on the health condition trying to address, and I, I think I, I mentioned this in my presentation, and that was that I use the example of women's health and women's health is specifically looking at generally vaginal and urinary tract health beyond gut and, and other things, because that's more specific for women. And it would be able to identify products that contained specific strains that were researched and shown to convey human health benefit for this specific health category. It identifies how much of each organism is present in the product. And it also links to various references that support the use of that organism. So you don't have to go searching in PubMed to find out which organisms. It will provide you some of the references. So it's very nice in that respect. And so it's, it's certainly a tool I would recommend to many healthcare providers and even savvy consumers. Yeah, I think that having this source where you can go to find out what research has been done, what organisms have been proven to be effective for specific disease states, I think is really important. What about the use of probiotics? You take them once, maybe you've got something going on with some inflammation, maybe you've got some diarrhea. How long do you have to take them? So the benefits of probiotics typically are only, only realized while using the product. I mean, there'll, there'll be some lingering benefits as they stick around, but again, none stably colonize the adult gut. And so if, it, if it's something that requires chronic management, you'd want to continually use, and, and they're of course very safe to use chronically. But if you're addressing a very specific health conditions, say you are prescribed a course of antibiotics, right? Mm -hmm. There's a few select probiotics and, and one organism, again, that's not so much strain specific in this regard, because it's a very specific variant of a species is a probiotic yeast. It's one of the best studied probiotic organisms. It's called Saccharomyces boulardii. There are branded forms such as Floristore. Jar Formulas had a product with this one. And there are some other brands out there that will sell an S. boulardii standalone probiotic. This one's very effective at discouraging antibiotic-associated diarrhea, actually discouraging things like infection by C. difficile, which antibiotic administration is a risk factor for and causes yep. lots of issues. And they're very difficult to get rid of when they gain a foothold. And so if that was the instance, then you'd want to use it in conjunction with the antibiotic. So during your entire course of the antibiotic, and you'd likely want to use it for weeks, if not months following that antibiotic exposure again, because remember I said 
while the microbial community will reconstitute, it takes a very long time. It doesn't reestablish itself very quickly. And again, the probiotic is not there to quote unquote seed good bacteria in as much as it is, it's to put them in that environment to discourage growth of negative microbes, both yeast and bacteria that can gain a foothold that may have been resilient and resistant to the antibiotic. And again, it's because the antibiotic's not specific for bad bugs. It often kills off many of the good protective ones too. And when you remove them from the situation, they often keep these other ones in check based Mm. on their activity. And so you take them out of the equation. Well, guess what? Now you have free reign for them to utilize most of the nutrients coming in. They have room to spread and grow and gain a foothold in in the gut and expand. And this of course can lead to problems. And, And if you have a probiotic being continuously administered, at least one that's appropriate and validated for some of these benefits like Espelardias, then I think you stand to likely discourage some of the negative impact that that antibiotic likely will have. You may eliminate whatever infection, you know, but it, it's sad that you decimate your gut microbiota or, or even your, your vaginal microbiota for women because you had an ear infection and you were prescribed a broad spectrum antibiotic. Now you have increased risk to a gut infection or vaginal dysbiosis or candida overgrowth, right? Which causes other problems. Right. One of the questions that I often get is when, or like the timing of taking these probiotics, is it better to take it on an empty stomach with food? What are your thoughts on that? Right. So this is very common too, just kind of basics. And so I would say, you know, there's various technologies being developed like micro encapsulation that would be very protective, say, of a microbe transiting through your stomach. Now, the acidity in your stomach is a natural barrier to microbes. And think about it every day, you, me, all of us, we consume microbes inadvertently. They're present on our food. And let me tell you, they're not all good, right? Many cause foodborne illnesses. People forget about these things. We don't often get sick because again, they die off within the stomach because of that high acidity, digestive juices, but also those good bacteria within our small intestine and and colon that can help protect against these guys gaining a foothold. But again, the acidity in the stomach is one of the natural barriers to reduce the microbial load that's getting down into the lower parts of the GI tract. So of course, this is a barrier to good ones as well. And generally the pH of the stomach is lower, i.e. the acidity is higher between meals. So in the fasted state. So if you're fasted, you might see greater die-off if it's a probiotic that isn't in an, you know, like say an enteric coated capsule, which would protect against stomach acid or some sort of delayed release acid resistant capsule or micro encapsulated. If it has one of those technologies, by all means, take it on an empty stomach because it's, it's artificially protected at that point. If it's not, and you think of just historic and conventional use, when you eat, there's components within food that often will naturally buffer the pH of the stomach. So your pH will go up a little and that will allow more microbes pass through the stomach. And so I'd say if there's none of these protective technologies like enteric coated capsules or microencapsulation, generally speaking, I would recommend taking the probiotic with food. Obviously things like yogurt, very nice vehicle, I, I would imagine. Well, we've got to close, but I want to thank you so much again for your expertise. And I will provide a link to the usprobioticguide.com to help people fill in some of the questions that they still may have. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Anthony Thomas. 
nutrition researcher, scientific consultant in the dietary supplement industry, and director of scientific affairs at Natrion Incorporated. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I feel certain this will make a difference in people's lives. Oh, I hope so. And again, it was my pleasure and I look forward to further discussions in the future. 